Hello, Roy here. I just wanted to let you know that you can listen to The Roy Green Show ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. One of the most respected and experienced broadcasters in the industry, this is The Roy Green Show. Right, did we put that microphone? Well, it's just if you've been waiting for the vocals to start. Uh, it's the Green Show. It's Sunday, and uh, just before the break, I was talking about the eighty thousand plus interviews I've done in my career, and uh, how the interview with Charles Krauthammer is going to always be one of my favorites. Well, when it comes to eighty thousand interviews, uh, about sixty thousand of them have been with Scott Newark. <laughs> former Alberta Crown Prosecutor, former Executive Director of the Canadian Police Association, head of the Office of Victims of Crime in Ontario, a senior policy advisor to a federal public safety minister and now adjunct professor at Simon Fraser University. There's a lot more about Scott Newark, but we've been talking for 25, yeah, at least, yeah. 25 years. I was years. still a prosecutor when uh, breaking the rules... Uh, I spoke to you uh, after having uh, testified for a parliamentary committee. I remember that. Yeah. yeah I, re- I remember the first time we spoke. Yeah. And, and I learned something that day, and I'm, I mean this quite sincerely. I've been learning from you about the justice system ever since. And what I know about Canada's justice system is largely due to the fact that I've been going to Scott, Scott New York U. <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the other side of it, frankly, is the importance. That's what I learned along the way as well, too was the importance of having a platform by which the truth about the justice system's performance and non-performance could actually be given to Canadians. And that's what was so incredibly important about the work that you've done over the years in helping expose these, uh, these issues and also you know, uh, be a platform for asking the right questions and trying to get the right answers and come up with solutions. Well, between the two of us, we've done a lot. Uh, this mutual admiration society has got to end. Uh, but we, what we did was, well, you did. I didn't because I'm s- such a nice guy. But you actually had a, 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 a government minister in tears. Yeah. You remember well, that? It's called cross-examination. Yeah. It's, well, it's, uh, it worked. Yeah. It and worked. and you had that Russian spy too, right? Remember that? Oh, I remember that one. Yeah, that was that was one of those fun moments. <laughs> so there's a few things that we have to talk about that've been going on over the last days and days and weeks. And let's yeah. if we can start with uh, with the one uh, from Okotoks, Alberta, with uh, the young rancher Edward uh, yeah. Maurice, who was uh, had somebody break into his vehicle on his farm. He fired some shots. Somebody was slightly injured. He was charged criminally. And now the Crown has withdrawn the charge, which I think is going to be a very welcome decision oh, time, yeah. by, by most, most thinking Canadians. So what happened here? You're the former Alberta prosecutor. What happened? Well, the, uh, your description of the events is, uh, is true. He was uh, on his uh, property. He had an uh, infant child with him became aware of the fact that there were people, there was actually two people who were on his property. They were breaking into his vehicle. Uh, He looked at them, he yelled at them. They basically just, you know, looked back at him and just 
gave him the finger kind of thing. And so he, uh, they were glaring at him. That he wasn't sure if they were coming towards him. He had uh, taken his uh, gun, which he lawfully owned. And what actually happened that was significant is he fired a, what he described as a warning shot, which did scare these guys, and they took off. Uh, and one of them, when they were ultimately caught, and, and he called the police, the RCMP, who ultimately showed up, and he told them what had happened. Uh, one of them got wounded in the arm. And so the police charged him with, you know, aggravated assault and unsafe use of a uh, weapon and everything else. They finally caught the two uh, uh, guys who were t- doing the, uh, trying to do the, uh, the theft. The victims. charged them as well, too. But it caused, as you can imagine, a huge, huge um, outroar uh, locally about uh, why it was that this property owner uh, had been arrested. In fact, he was uh, detained for, uh, I think it was for actually a couple of days before uh, receiving uh, bail. And there was tremendous local support for him and uh, showing up in court all the time, took multiple court appearances. And it turns out uh, what it was for was because the, uh, the Crown had directed a f- uh, forensics uh, firearms analysis, which confirmed, in fact, that the shot that was fired wasn't at the individual's, but it was, as he had said, just as a warning shot, but it hit something, and a bullet ricocheted and hit the guy in the arm. And so based on that, the Crown withdrew the charges because they didn't feel that they had the necessary intent to be able to lay the charges. But it very definitely raises the uh, the issues that are becoming quite prominent in uh, Western Canada, certainly in Alberta as well, too, about... Um, lawful property owners having the right to defend themselves, the inability of the RCMP to respond appropriately. I mean, they're, sometimes they never respond. It has generated huge uh, public concerns about it and a determination. I can tell you the uh, Jason Kenney's uh, United Conservative Party is actually just uh, wrapping up consultations about changes that need to be made to deal with this situation. It's a, it's a, a really significant concern and issue. If you are at home with your family or your home by yourself and you are under immediate and very serious threat or find yourself believing that given the circumstances that you're facing that you, your life could be in danger. Well, that's the issue. Right? I mean, that is the issue. But you ha- you're you yeah. the one who has to have the right to make the decision if the police can't get there in time to help yeah. you. What are you supposed to do? Just stand and yell help? Well, see, and that's the, the point is uh, in our criminal code, Section 34 and Section 35, deal with a right of uh, defense of uh, person and defense of property. And the language is all, of course, you know, uh, uh, pretty vague. It's, it's done in terms of reasonable, what is reasonable. Uh, and so it largely does come down to a case-by-case analysis. I've actually made some suggestions about some amendments to the sections that could be made to specifically require courts to take into consideration the kind of factors you just described. But this is a case that got a, a lot of attention, obviously, after the... Uh, the case in uh, Saskatchewan, and I think it's a good thing to see that the Crown finally looked at this and said, you know what, this guy shouldn't be charged. Proceeding it to uh, prosecute this guy is not in the public interest. Yeah, I was going to do a segment on it today, but I knew I was going to be talking to you, so I saved it for that. Now, here's another story. We have uh, an individual living in Toronto who has claimed in his correspondence with New York Times bloggers that he's an ISIS killer, that he has killed... Uh, for and uh, and and because of ISIS, and uh, he then reneged on that, um, and then he's once again been uh, communicating with 
bloggers, the New York Times, saying that, yeah, he did kill people and he didn't tell the RCMP or didn't tell police in Canada because it's none of their business. Uh, leaving Canada to go to another country to join a terrorist group is a criminal offense, provided you found guilty, right? So Correct. why is this individual walking around Toronto, or we understand walking in Toronto, unencumbered by any uh, visitation from police, unencumbered by any criminal charges. If you defend your own life in your own home, you can find yourself with enough charges that you'll go to jail longer than the individual who broke into your home and threatened you. But this guy, who says he's killed on behalf of ISIS, he's walking around happy and free. This latest development on this guy, Abu Husafi al-Kanadi, um, is he reneged on his previous reneging of his reneged statement to the new, originally to the New York Times. So, you know, um, that's the latest twist on this thing, and you, you don't ever assume that what somebody like this is saying is, is, uh, is true. Relevant, perhaps, without question, but not necessarily true. And I think the issue, we've discussed this one before, uh, the, the cops have to deal with this based on the evidence they have available, and I did some uh, looking into the circumstances. I don't think it's even actually 100% clear uh, that he actually left Canada to join ISIS, uh, that he may have, in fact, had uh, gone to Pakistan and was in a madrasa there, and he went to uh, Syria from Pakistan. And also, just because they've got statements from what he supposedly said, and we haven't seen the details of that, um, that's of itself not necessarily going to be sufficient to get a conviction. Uh, you know, they don't know what it is he specifically did. I, to my understanding, I don't know that they have, like, third-party evidence that confirms what he was doing, all those kinds of evidentiary issues. And so that's the real explanation that's been given. And I must admit, I thought Minister Goodale, when he was questioned about this in the House of Commons, I thought he actually uh, responded quite uh, correctly when he said that, because if he was being grilled about, you know, why hasn't this guy been charged or put on a peace bond or something like that? And I think he, he was quite correct when he said, um, you know, uh, look, these are decisions to be made by frontline operational people, not politicians. You know, I'll... I'll it's legitimate I'll, I'll, to I'll, ask the question why they're yeah, not doing it, yeah. but no, that, no, no. Is, that is the case. I will accept what you're saying, but I'll, I'd, I'll throw in this writer, that we have a prime minister who has said that he uh, believes that returning ISIS members could provide a significantly positive contribution to Canada. So it doesn't seem to me like Mr. Trudeau has any, and his government have any interest in intercepting or in any way, which way making life difficult for returning ISIS members. Yeah, and I think to that point, um, I, some of the comments that have made, been made by senior RCMP officers in relation to dealing with returning jihadis, frankly, they're of greater concern to me because they seem to have a politically correct tone to them. Yeah. You know, small p political, if you will. Yeah. Uh, personally, I think it's one of the suggestions I made on the uh, C-51 counterterrorism bill that to make these, because this is a new reality, Roy, dealing with these returning jihadis is a new circumstance we're going to have to deal with. Personally, I think we should tweak the wording in the terrorism peace bonds so as to uh, allow a court where the judge um, concludes that the individual was overseas you know, fighting with a terrorist uh, entity, a designated terrorist entity, or was engaged in terrorist activity, that that should create the presumption that is required in that section for the peace bond. That's mm-hmm. not there right now, and that's probably what's being viewed 
because right now the, the the evidentiary requirement is that they may commit a terrorism offense. And I, I don't know the specifics of it, but I will bet you that is probably the view that they don't have sufficient evidence for that. Okay, we're going to have to take a break, but you mentioned political correctness and, and dealing with these individuals. I spoke uh, not so long ago with uh, Lieutenant Commander, Lieutenant Commander Steve Day, Lieutenant Commander yeah. Steve Day, the uh, former commanding officer, Joint Task Force 2, our counterterrorism unit, Special Forces counterterrorism unit. And they, they, they took out ISIS members and... Uh, uh, Lieutenant Commander Colonel uh, Steve Day was very specific about, you know, we had missions to uh, to conclude, and we did what we had to do. He did, he set aside political correctness when he was when he was talking about these returning ISIS members. When he called them cockroaches. Yes. So, we will come back with Scott Newark, and uh, let's talk about um, a couple of things that are developed. There's a court date set for Joshua Boyle, and prison farms are coming back, which I think is a great idea. We will come back on The Green Show with Scott Newark in just a minute. Proudly Canadian and making Canada proud. This is The Roy Green Show. Scott Newark, uh, adjunct professor now at Simon Fraser University. Your students are very fortunate to have you providing the information that you know and can impart to them. Um, the issue here of, uh, of um, Joshua Boyle. So here's this guy yeah. who has some sort of relationship with Justin Trudeau, or at least he said he has. They've had things in common in the past. He visited the prime minister in the PMO. Uh, with his family, had his photo taken, and then he's charged with 19, I think it's 19 fairly significant criminal charges. Yes. Um, and then there's also the connection with the Carter family, as Joshua yes. Boyle was married to Omar Carter's sister, Zainab. So this is a kind of a tangled, dirty little web. Um, and now Boyle has a court date set, and I sent you an email, and I was kind of cynical in my assessment of the situation. Don't need to go into that, but um, what, uh, what, what's going on here? Well, the, um, he was arrested. The, the meeting obviously caused some controversy, and uh, Joshua Boyle made some tweets that you know, uh, suggested that he had had a previous, quote, relationship with uh, Justin Trudeau. Uh, and then it, literally a matter of weeks after that, he gets arrested with all of these charges. Uh, there's extensive publication bans, uh, his lawyers, uh, he's very well lawyered up. His uh, family uh, obviously understands his dad's a retired federal court judge. Uh, he uh, gets remanded, he's in custody, he gets remanded for uh, repeated psych assessments uh, for almost, I think, about three or four months. Uh, then comes back, is released on very strict bail conditions, and now has the, uh, the trial date uh, set for the spring. Uh, this has the feel for me... Um, that this is a circumstance that will ultimately be resolved by a plea bargain, and that um, I, I've seen this happen before, where in effect the uh, the conditions of bail become the conditions of the sentence. Uh, you never know. I mean, you never know in something like this. You never know if the uh, if the victim, uh, how cooperative the victim is going to be in any of this. Uh, those are all things that are intangibles. But this has the feeling for me that this feels like something that's going to be resolved ultimately by a plea bargain where the conditions of his release, and they'll be able to say, well, he spent, you know, four months in pretrial custody, 
uh, the conditions of his release will be pretty much what he's on right now. Okay. We have three minutes left. Let's talk about two issues. One is the smuggling of guns into Canada from the United States. The other is the return of prison farms at correctional institutions. Well, very quickly on the prison farms, they were canceled uh, by Vic Taves when he was the minister uh, on on very foolish grounds. the, uh, the idea was that, oh, well, you know, people aren't going out and becoming farmers, as opposed to they had a lower, people who participated in the program had a lower recidivism rate. That's the measure of success for corrections. And uh, fortunately, the, uh, there was a, a, a consultation done. This, restoring this program was supported by people from all across the political spectrum. Uh, former Senator Bob Brunson was a big fan of it as well, too. And this is something that was announced uh, recently that th- this program will now be reinstated, which is a very good thing. Yeah, when I was on the Corcan Advisory Board, and it was uh, Mr. Taves who appointed me to that, uh, I saw a couple of the prison farms in operation, and it looked like looked like the kind of place that would just bring the, the pressure down. Yeah. yeah. Just bring, well, it also, bring I it think, down. Gave, gave people that sense of they had responsibility for yeah. you know, yeah. other yeah. living entities. Yeah. That was a positive uh, rehabilitation. You know, they found they found in I don't know if they do it in Canada, but they found in the United States where they allow prisoners to have cats in a prison yeah. uh, that it that it really makes brings people's stress levels down. Yeah, because they're yeah. caring oh. for something else that's alive. You know. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Do what works. Yeah. What about uh, what about guns being? Smuggled into well, Canada. this is uh, really uh, important. The the most, I mean, uh, I think there was another three fatal shootings in Toronto last night. People have been warning about this. Two big issues here. One is these particular guns, sixty plus, were actually smuggled across the border. They originated in Florida. Uh, they got smuggled across the border. I'm guessing between ports of entry down at uh, Cornwall. And um, gee, by remarkable coincidence, the police happened to be aware of it. Uh, there will be some intelligence background on this. Uh, and it was, uh, you know, uh, for a uh, gang uh, that was operating in uh, Toronto. And it's an example of the reality of this. No matter how much some people may not want to admit it, cross-border smuggling of uh, guns is real, and we need to uh, take steps with that, as well as in uh, domestically owned firearms, what they call them uh, straw firearms, where people who are lawfully entitled to get them are, you know, buying like 20, 30 guns and then selling them to uh, uh, gang members. Okay, that's why we need a, a gun registry, in my opinion. And yes, I admit that I do support the gun registry. Uh, but that and the reality that police are no longer, are very much discouraged from doing street checks. Guess what? There's been a huge increase in violence, and the people who suffer the most from this are those people in those same communities uh, that the police were trying to target, not because of uh, pigmentation, skin pigmentation, or color but because that's where crime was happening. And the people suffering the most from that are the people living in those communities. You and I part company on the issue of the gun registry, as you know. Not, not surprisingly. Yeah. <laughs> and, I, and, I, and they have to leave alone gun owners who legally jump, who jump through all the hoops and legally buy themselves a, a shotgun or a rifle yeah, but I want to know why a and a rifle. Leave them alone. Downtown Toronto buys 30 guns. What for? I said two. Yeah, well... This guy, the one, the one case in particular, the guy bought thirty guns. Yeah, well, we have, have a right a to know that. Okay, are you done? Yes. Well, actually, I. I'd no, love I gotta to go. Another case, but I, I don't go, think buddy. we have time. Thanks. <laughs> I hope it's good talking to you. Thank you, Scotty. <laughs> bye bye. Talk to you later. Bye bye. Scott, New York, and we'll come back and wrap bye. up after this.